Hey, I'd invite you now to open up your scripture or your mobile device to Romans chapter 4. Now, Erica had just kind of wet the whistle a little bit and primed the pump on where we are in our series in Romans. She talked about how Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul would have written to the church in Rome. And this is when he had never visited the church in Rome before. And in fact, Paul didn't even have a hand in planting the church in Rome. He just discovered a group of Christians there who frankly were a mix of Gentiles and Jews. These were non-Jewish people and Jewish people together at the church in Rome. He was reaching out to them through this teaching to lift them up and encourage them in their faith. And one of the ways that he wanted to really connect with the Jewish side of the congregation is by referring to the story of Abraham. Now, I don't know if you remember anything about Abraham or not, uh, Abraham was a special figure in the life of the church, in the life of uh, the, the very earliest part of the church that began the Jewish faith. Now this goes way, way back in Jewish history. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is turn with me again to Romans chapter 4 in whatever device you happen to have available. If you're going low tech or old school and you're using a paper Bible, I'd invite you to take a pen or a pencil and just make some notes in the margins. What I'd like to see everyone do in the room is engage in the word directly. It's very important for us as followers of Jesus to have our eyes on the scripture so that we can personally interact with it as a family, as a gathering of God's people. You might have remembered, if you take a trip down memory lane at the very beginning of the Jewish faith, you might remember a very provocative story of Abraham. Abraham was the one who, as Tony mentioned before, was called upon by God to sacrifice his own son. He was to take his own son, build an altar to the Lord, put his son on there, and kill him in the name of sacrifice. And what's fascinating and ironic about this story is that Abraham and Sarah, in a very advanced age, well into their retirement years, many generations after they began to receive their social security income, were called upon to have a child for the very first time. They had never had a kid before, and they were pushing 100. They were in their 90s. And God called upon them to have a child, not only for the sake of the joy and pleasure of having children, but so that those children would become the nation of Israel. And so that the kingdom of Israel would give birth to the who? To the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So if you, you apply a little human logic and you look at that timeline, you dial back the Messiah all the way to Abraham. If Abraham had never had a child, then there wouldn't be a what? There wouldn't be a Messiah. And so it was very important for Abraham to have a child. But then God comes along later and calls Abraham to sacrifice his child, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, does it? But in the moment, we understand in the story that as it says in Hebrews, Abraham got his son Isaac back because God provided a ram that was caught there in the thicket and Abraham was able to use that ram for that sacrifice instead. But in the moment that God was calling Abraham to have a child at an advanced age, Abraham had a choice. Abraham could receive the word of God, believe it, 
and act upon it, which by the way, means he needed to do what was required of a husband and his wife in order to conceive a child at almost age 100. Don't let your mind wander too far on that concept. He had to act upon that request in faith. He chose in that moment to do that. They chose to have a child in an advanced age and God did provide that child. Likewise, when he was there with the knife over his son Isaac on that makeshift altar, Abraham had a choice. Does he prepare the altar and lay his son on it and raise the knife? Or does he say no to God and turn in another direction? Well, we know what happened. Uh, the Bible says that he prepared that sacrifice and then received his son back when a ram appeared on the side. Abraham followed through with that decision with that call from God, with a decision to act on what God had asked him to do, had called upon him to do. And so that's kind of the meat of this section of Romans that we're going to focus on today. Now, we've been talking as we started this series about having a focused set of verses in whatever longer section of Scripture we're looking at. And your focused set of verses today are Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. I want to read this for you again. This is a little bit different version than the one that Tony read for us before. So our hope is as we study different versions of Scripture, it brings a couple of different perspectives to mind. And here's how it goes. Yet here, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was in quotes, credited to him as righteousness. Now, another teaching tool we've been using is by bolding specific words in the focus verses that we're going to be concentrating on. You'll notice that the first one that's bolded is waver. And this is something that Tony had shared with us, kind of a personal testimony when he read a few minutes ago, that Abraham had the choice to waver in his faith. Now, we understand that if we go and look at the original word, for waver, and we're not going to talk about the, the etymology of the word and all that good stuff, but if you look at the, the, the kind of beginnings of that word and look at what it actually intends to mean, the idea of wavering in your faith kind of looks like fighting with yourself on the inside. It's like having a, a battle with yourself over something that's presented to you as an opportunity or a challenge. And Abraham was certainly presented with an opportunity and a challenge at almost 100 years old to have a new child in his life, right? He was also presented with an opportunity and a challenge when he had the knife raised over that same child that was the child of a promise of God. God had said, I'm going to give you as many children, as many descendants as there are stars in the sky and sands on the seashore. But Abraham had no child. And so when that child came by miracle, by God's promise, Abraham also had a choice as to what to do with him when God was calling him to sacrifice him on that altar. And Abraham struggled on the inside and had this, this fight with himself on the inside for maybe a second or two before he decided to, uh, to, to answer that call and to go down that road. But that word waver means that the fight that he would have had inside did not compromise his faith. 
the fight he had inside instead yielded to what God wanted him to do. And in that moment, God proved himself to be true and right. So Abraham didn't fight with himself too much to keep himself from acting on the call of God. Abraham wasn't stymied in the internal fight that he might have had with himself because he had acted on faith to follow God out into the wilderness and the unknown in the first place. Abraham was faced with a choice and an internal struggle over each of these parts of his faith, but he didn't allow that to keep him from acting on the call of God. So when we look at that word waver, we understand that Abraham, even if he had internal battles and fights going on, he didn't let that keep him from following God's call. He instead, acknowledging his humanness and his weakness, stepped forward and trusted God in that. And that's a teaching for us. Because when we're faced with God's call in our life, when God is calling us to be available to neighbors, friends, co-workers, or even our own family to share in the kingdom of God, there's a moment there we might be tempted to engage in a battle with ourselves. What is it would be easier or more comfortable to do? Be a part of the kingdom of God and engage in that kind of relationship with neighbors, co-workers, friends, and even my own family? Or shrink back into myself and allow the comfort of myself in that moment to rule instead of being a party of the conversation of God that he'd have us be in as a part of the kingdom of God in each of those relationships. We're faced with that choice, aren't we? But God says, you know what? Don't waver in your faith. You can have that internal struggle that's personal and normal and perfectly human Step out and follow God in the midst of that and you will see growth and you will see faith come from that. More faith comes with obedience to God. More faith comes with obedience to God. Even in the times of wavering and testing, more faith comes from obedience to God. Now we understand that Jesus saved us from our sins on the cross. And that we don't earn our salvation from obedience to God. Jesus was obedient for us. But then the question becomes, what does God do with us after that? This is how that works. In Abraham's life, he was promised something. He was promised that he would have descendants in his great family, as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, remember the last time you went camping or went out into southern Illinois or further, and you saw a really bright sky at night where all the stars were illuminated. Can you think about your own family being that numerous generations from now? It's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? In fact, the research says a lot of families don't even remember the names of their great-grandparents before them. So imagine Abraham being in a position to receive a promise about having all these descendants and all these people who would be a great blessing to the world and not having had his own first child yet. So here's what happened with Abraham in his life. And here's that effect, how that affects your faith and how it affects mine. See, God called Abraham into a life of full persuasion. He called Abraham into a life of full persuasion. 
when he led him out of wavering over decisions about whether or not to follow God into the unknown, God proved himself by realizing and making good on his promises. One of God's promises to you and me is that he will never forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. He will walk with us in life every single day. And so Abraham found himself fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now let me ask you a question. What has God promised to you and to me? What has he promised to us? He's promised to us that he will walk with us and that he will never turn his back on us because of Jesus. He has promised to grow us into an abundant life, a life that is more than just getting by, a life that is full of passion and purpose. God has promised the fulfillment of these things in Jesus. And the best part of it is, is that even though he calls us into choice as to whether we will follow him in the moment, he doesn't have us rely on our own strength, giftedness, or power in those moments of choice. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's how that works for us. Talking really practical now. Whether you're dealing with the idea of praying, talking to God, or dealing with the idea of listening to God through the study of scripture, or dealing with the idea of having a conversation with someone else about the kingdom of God or about your faith. God uses all these bits and pieces to grow faith in you. So if you ever feel like your faith is not growing or if it's stagnant, flatlined, a place to go to answer God's call to follow him into growth is to seek him in the scriptures, to seek him in prayer, and to seek him in conversation with others about the kingdom of God, about what God is doing in your life, and what God is doing in the lives of others around us. This is why we create time for conversation in this fellowship. It's important because as our faith grows, we become more and more persuaded that God is who he said he is the creator of us all, that God is who he said he is in Jesus, the redeemer of us all, and that God is who he said he is in the Holy Spirit, the empower of us all, the one who empowers us into faith, into conversation. And the more time we spend conversing our faith out with other people who believe, or other people who are curious about our faith, the more we're actually following Jesus in the real world. The more we are seeing Jesus lead us in the real world, and the more we're convinced that God is who he says he is, and that God will make good on his promises to us. The promise is that Jesus has come to give us an abundant life, a life that is growing and thriving. Now, when Abraham believed this, the Bible says that it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, let me ask you another question. What's your credit score? Do you know what your credit score is? Do you know where to find your credit score? Well, you could look at one of the credit reporting agencies and pay a dollar and get a report. 
You could subscribe to mint.com and they'll give it to you as a part of your subscription. What does that score represent? It represents how often and how well you've paid what? Your bills. Were your bills paid on time? Have they been consistent? Did you pay what you were supposed to pay? Did you pay it when you were supposed to pay it? If you did, then what's your credit score going to look like? It's going to be pretty good, right? If you defaulted on your payments or didn't pay them frequently enough or just quit paying altogether, what's your credit score going to look like? Low, right? Your credit score is a reflection of how well you've paid your bills. You see, in Christianity, in the faith, Abraham's sin still stood before God when he was faced with his choices. Abraham was still a sinner, just like you and I are before a holy and perfect God. But Abraham's faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham's sin that he was conceived with did not keep him from being righteous in the eyes of God. What he didn't earn by following God's call was righteousness in and of his own actions. God saw Abraham's open and willing heart to do what he called him to do and gave him righteousness, credited it to him, paid the bill of his sin for him, and placed upon him a seal of righteousness, right standing before God, as Tony read before. Abraham did not earn his righteousness. When you look earlier in that chapter, in Romans chapter 4, it talks about working for a wage, a working a job and then receiving a paycheck. That's not what happened with Abraham. Abraham received righteousness as a gift from God. It was credited to him. It was placed on his account. Even though Abraham was human and was faced with difficult times ahead, difficult choices ahead. God credited him with righteousness for free. It comes from this idea. We are all spiritually bankrupt. We all have nothing to bring to the table to negotiate with God. In those moments, God calls us to choice. And the choice has to do with faith. Will you, daughter of God, son of God, will you believe that your righteousness has been given to you as a free gift through the Messiah? And then respond to that free, that free gift by following God's call in this life. Will you receive that call based on the idea that God doesn't hold your sins against you. He's removed them. How far? As far as the east is from the west. He's taken your sins away. There's nothing that keeps you from being his child. He loves you that much. He gives to you that much. And he wants an abundant life for you that much. So being credited with righteousness for us is very similar to the way that Abraham would have been credited with righteousness. 
Abraham believed God. He believed that God gave him righteousness by faith. God looked at Abraham as a righteous person, not because of the choices he had made or the things he had done, but because he gave him righteousness as a gift. And in that moment, the gift took away his sin in the eyes of God. How does that work for us today as we follow Jesus? How does that play out in everyday life? It's very much the same way as it was with Abraham. God walked with Abraham. God led Abraham dynamically. He led him to a promised land. He gave him descendants and he populated the Jewish faith, which gave birth to the Messiah. Miracles happened through all that. And for us, it's very similar in that God walks with us. He spends time with us. He dwells with us as people. The scripture talks about God being their people and the people being the children of God, being the people of God. It's very much the same way for you and me. A question for you today is, do you feel like God is walking with you? Do you feel like Jesus is with you as you go to work, as you go to school, as you engage in activities, as you hang out with family, as you're doing pizza and movie night on Friday night, as you're going for a bike ride at the park district, as you're going on vacation? Do you feel like Christ is walking with you? The good news is, the righteousness you have in the eyes of God is a gift from him, where Jesus says, I walk with you in an abundant life. The scripture literally says in John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they would have an abundant life, not a life that is flat and just getting by. Do you believe that Jesus is walking with you? If you do, Jesus means to walk with you more. If you don't believe that Jesus is walking with you, be challenged to believe that it is true in spite of the fact that you may not trust it yet. He is a God who is close, not far away. He's a God who walks with you by hand. He's a God who takes a direct role in your life. Even before we understand and know what's going on, if you make note of Hebrews 11, the scripture says this in reference to Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, what we call the promised land. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. There are times in life when you don't know what the next step is, when you don't know what the next growth opportunity is, when you don't know what the next challenge is. There's a time in your life when your life could be upended and you literally don't know what the next steps are. That's okay because God walks with you and he knows what those next steps are. He knows what the outcome is when someone's in the hospital and you don't know how it's gonna come out, when someone has a pregnancy with difficulties and you don't know how it's gonna come out, when someone loses his or her job and you don't know how it's gonna work out, when someone loses a home or a family breaks up and you don't know how it's gonna work out, or if someone has all the perfect pieces of life in place and they're depressed and they don't know what the day, next day looks like and they don't know how it's gonna turn out. God is there walking with you, even as you experience and feel those things, even when you don't know. 
This is what it means to live credited with righteousness. There's nothing keeping you from the presence of God walking with you in that. And folks, that's the point of this whole Christianity thing. The point is not to score points with God or to become more righteous or perfect. The point is for God to walk with you, for God to be yours and you to be his, and for him to take your hand and walk with you through every day as you face every day. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that he walks with you? Now, maybe he walks with the person to your right who seems more righteous. Or maybe he walks to, with the person who at your left is more poor and in trouble. Maybe you don't believe he walks with you right here in the middle. He does. And he doesn't do it because of what you do or don't do. He does it because he loves you. And he did everything that needed to be done to be there. Will you receive that message and let it grow faith in your heart so that the next time when you walk, you know you're walking with Jesus because he walks with you. Will you believe that and will you trust that? That's the faith of Abraham, that God will be there every step of the way. I'd invite you to just take a minute now, pray with me. Chris is gonna come up and share a song grow our faith. But I'd ask you to pray with me now and let the Holy Spirit open your heart on these ideas. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to dial things back and to look at the faith of Abraham, a faith that literally did not know where he was going next. Thank you for the opportunity to take inventory in my heart because in much of life, I don't know what's happening next. But God, I know that you walk there with me and I know that you will never turn your back on me. I am tempted to believe that I'm in this life alone, on my own. I'm also tempted to believe that I need to rely and put faith on humans or on jobs or on incomes or on a home or a neighborhood, things that are external to our faith, but things through which you work every single day. That is my temptation. So I turn that temptation over to you and I ask for you now to work faith in my heart. I know there is no sin between us because of that credit of righteousness like Abraham had. So I am free now. I'm free with no strings attached, with no barriers, no obstacles. And I receive from you your presence to walk with me and to share life with me. For you made it You redeemed it, and you set it apart for good. Now grow your kingdom in me and through me. Glory to you, God. You are the one who speaks and moves and creates and redeems and saves. In your name we pray and together we say, amen, amen.